county jail The prison band was there, they began to wail The band was jumping and the joint began to swing You should have heard this knocked out jailbird sing that Back to the rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Elvis. Joining me, it's a good thing we are audio only because we don't want his hip thrusting getting us shut down. It's Tom Hanks correspondent Joe Morgan. Joe, what's going on? What's going on, Josh? Not much. And also joining us, he just finished reflecting on life while sitting under the Hollywood sign. It's Daniel Lima. Daniel, what's going on? <laughs> Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so Elvis is the newest movie from Australian filmmaker Boz Lerman. It stars uh, Austin Butler in the title role of Elvis Presley. Uh, it kind of picks up where he, uh, you know, is just kind of getting discovered and goes through the rest of his life. So it's not a cradle to the great biopic, but it also is told from the perspective of Colonel Tom Parker, played by Tom Hanks, who managed Elvis for most of his career. So we kind of get to see his rise and fall and uh, how Colonel Tom Parker himself plays into it, but also we see other parts of Elvis's life to varying degrees throughout the movie, and that's really about all I got to say about this. Uh, even though Joe put in the request for this first because he is unofficially the Tom Hanks correspondent, though this might only be like the second live-action Tom Hanks movie you've been here for, Joe. I want to start with Daniel, and I want to read you something, Daniel, because I don't actually know what Joe thinks about this movie. I know Daniel like actually really liked it. So, Daniel, I'm going to read you one line of something, and you might, I want to know if you know where it's from. It says the perfect double bill with Bohemian Rhapsody. It is so thoroughly eviscerates eviscerates the musical biopic formula. It's a wonder that anyone would attempt to make one. Do you know what I'm reading from? I assume a review of Elvis. Um, I'm gonna no, take I, a no. I, I'm reading your letterbox review of Walk Hard: The Dewey Cox Story. So, oh really? In, in light of that, I want to know why this movie deserves to exist. Why Elvis deserves to exist when Walk Hard exists? Okay, so. <laughs> Here's the thing. <laughs> I went into this, actually going into this, I was talking to JB and he said that, you know who might, you might be the perfect audience for this movie because of my love for a different movie, RRR. Hmm. Which I still now, have not seen. I promise I will watch it. I have not seen it. But RRR is like, you know, this Indian action movie that has been like a, a big crossover success, the, the likes of which like, you know, doesn't usually happen with Indian movies. And the thing is, that's a movie that's very outside, very maximalist, very in your face from like beginning to end. And it's like a three hour long runtime. So it's a lot of movie. It's and a very forcefully sort of directed movie. Hmm. And he was saying that, like, that's kind of the energy of Elvis. And that's what I went in kind of hoping for. Uh, I figured that this would be a kind of you said that this wasn't quite a cradle to grave story, but it kind of is it kind of is it charts him well, from like childhood to, to actually to, i forgot yeah. we do see the scenes of him going into church and going into the sinking into the blues halls and yes, stuff like yes, that, yes, which yes, is when yes, he's pretty yes. young so, yeah so it kind of is so narratively i wasn't expecting anything uh different uh you know i didn't expect something apparently this had like the approval of the like presley estate so like i wasn't expecting a kind of interrogation of his character or of the controversy surrounding him but what I was hoping for is just Boz being Boz. 
I actually have not seen a ton of Baz Luhrmann films. I've only mm. ever seen like Romeo plus Juliet. And that was like in seventh grade drama class. But his reputation is being a maximalist director, a director who's very uh, ostentatious, uh, very bombastic, uh, a very in your face sort of forceful style. And I thought that that approach to the filmmaking would probably be like the best way to tell the story of Elvis, one of the you know biggest stars ever. So why does this movie need to exist? Really, it is down to the director and the style of filmmaking for me. That's what I was hoping for going in. So you enjoyed the spectacle? I did, although I will say I have my issues. Uh, that first hour, I thought this might be the best movie of the year. Hmm. And after that, it becomes a little rockier, which I assume we'll be getting into later. So, Joe, you just raised your arms and uh, pumped them in the air when Daniel made that comment that the first hour might have been the best movie of the year. Is that because you agree with him? And also, uh, did your boy Tom Hanks almost ruin this movie? So that first hour is incredible. So, yes, I am with Daniel on that. Um, I am here to be the Tom Hanks homer that I am, just to say <laughs> this is a delightfully deranged performance. Like, everybody for years has been like, I mean, you know, Tom Hanks, had, like, before the Roger, um, before the Mr. Rogers movie, like, Tom Hanks had been nominated for an Oscar for years. And I've heard, like, oh, it's because he's being boring. Like, oh, like, we get it with Tom Hanks. We know his whole deal. Then he just gives us this like absolute like nightmare of a thing. And <laughs> it's like the most fascinated I've been to watch him in something since like Captain Phillips. Like, yeah, that's when he should have gotten an That's that's what should have broken his Oscar drought. Yes, but, I yeah. agree. I agree. Uh, but oh my God, like, I, you know, <laughs> it's just delightfully weird and strange and perhaps too weird and too strange sure you know i could see people being turned off by it but like it was fascinating um i think with this movie watching it i love that first hour and i don't know if the movie works but oh my gosh it was one of the most exciting things i've seen in theaters and like in a long time like thinking back to when i saw parasite you wow. know where i'm just like what the like what the hell is going on when we have the opening fever dream where he's rushed to the hospital. Oh, that yeah, that's where I was like, okay, this is what I wanted. And he's, he's rushed <laughs> really? to the hospital, and he's he's uh, you know Tom Hanks's character is old in his old age is narrating the story of him meeting like this whole thing. It's the framing device is him kind of having a fever dream on his deathbed, yeah. and he's you know he's narrating the story, but it's like staged in this way where he's like walking through a like dreamlike sort of like casino. And he's while he's telling the story, like the slot machines are copying his words, you know, the camera's going into his IV drip and like it's, you know, split screens and fade. It is like absolutely gonzo sort of editing and cinematography. And it just absolutely puts you into, you know, this sort of world of like the, the man that would become Elvis. Well, so, I mean, maybe some of that stuff kind of works in isolation to keep your attention, but like. And it's not, I mean, I don't know what you remember from Romeo plus Juliet, but I watched Moulin Rouge for the first time the other day. And so I'm hesitant to like really like go in and go all in on criticizing him because it's just his style and you should know what you're signing up for. But like from scene to scene, though, the way it cuts, not even within the scenes, but from scene to scene, it is just so choppy and all over the place. Mm. That like I, I, I don't know, in my opinion, like it's his jumps from thing to thing really fast without a lot of like 
with I, I did not love how it was edited on a scene to scene basis within the well, scene. I don't, sure, you're but... not the fir- you're not the only person to say that, man. But yeah. like I, I gotta disagree with the consensus there. Like I okay. do think that it is sort of the appeal of the movie. It is sort of the point. It's not, it's less about and I think honestly, it's the strength of this movie, really, is that when it's not about necessarily the story of Elvis, but about conjuring that feel, the whirlwind sort of like chaotic energy of his stage performances Mm -hmm. the filmmaking does reflect that and you know i think that that's especially true in that about that first hour i'd say which is like about to the time that he ends up going into the army ish Mm -hmm. um it really the the editing kind of yeah of course it's chaotic and dreamlike and such but this is a man who's going on like this whirlwind of success and it it matches it in that uh in energy even if the narrative structure uh sort of gets a little loose because of it but the fact is it's telling a very familiar narrative anyways we know the rise and fall so i was completely on board with it that entire way well i don't necessarily uh i don't want to come off as all negative because like i i think it did conjure some really impressive moments in the performance scenes i thought those were pretty incredible and really uh and, and really grabbed me i saw it with my grandma who, I mean, maybe it's maybe it's a, obviously maybe she might be even more so in a target demographic than we are. But this movie is 160 minutes, and I cannot remember the last time I went to a movie with my grandma where she didn't fall asleep for at least part of it, and she was awake the whole time, did not have to go to the bathroom, and was had a really really great time and really enjoyed it. And I, I mean, if nothing else, it, it, I respect it for that that it got my grandma just to like have her eyes glued to the screen for two hours and 40 minutes. And I, out I was of, pretty out looking. of interest. Is your grandmother sorry? Is your grandmother like? old enough to like have seen elvis yeah she's 79 um so she, okay. she yeah so she or 70 78 sorry nana uh, so she i think she could like uh she definitely has some memories of that time and can and and can remember uh seeing him at certain points like she just got a, such a kick out of like the scene the, the, the first performance scene when the, the way the woman reacted to him she she was just <laughs> cracking up at that um which i mean if you just show me those women i would have been like oh yeah that's from walk hard uh, but like, you know, it's, 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 it's still really funny and I appreciated all that, but I, I guess, and I think we're, it sounds like we might all end up being in agreement some on the last half, well, the last act of the movie, but just with regard to the first half, which I agree is better. There is a certain moments in there where I think that we're like an example of where I think the editing kind of like, uh, doesn't do it any favors. is like, uh, the first time he starts getting some pushback where it has already been established that he has like made his first million dollars and he, he he's already bought Graceland. He's making a lot of money and he's driving nice cars and he's doing really well. And then like, you know, one, one of the, I, I can't remember what the actual position is of that figure that, uh, that, the governor? that, that like, is it the governor that see, watches, sees his kids watching him on TV? Yeah. 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 So that, that happens. And like all of a sudden, like the, the Tom Parker just starts pushing him to like drop everything, do like a really boring, don't move your hips performance. And he's just freaking out for like a good 15 minutes. It feels like about how he needs to like start going in a different direction. And, and then like, we, we see the inevitable backlash to that and how that's not the kind of Elvis anyone wants. And I'm like, I'm just like at a loss exactly for like why Tom, why, why Tom is convinced that needs to be the case for a minute. Like he, I, I don't actually think Tom thinks he's getting thrown in jail. We've already seen what he's doing is making so much money. Why is he doing this? And it, it just felt like it jumped and like kind of skips things that like hurt me and understanding like the character motivations in that point of the movie. And I mean, whether or not it gets inside, I, I think the, the Austin Butler's performance is really good, but like, I mean, I think there's also something to be said for if we, if we're spending too much time with Tom Parker and not enough time with Elvis and how it's edited in that regard. But I, I don't know what you guys have to say to that, but like, Joe, how did, how, how did you feel it kind of captured those 
early moments of Elvis's career and just his ascendance up until he goes to the army. Yeah, you know, the scene with the with the girl screaming, it does recall that uh, that Dewey Cox thing. But like, I don't know, just like there's this one specific shot of this woman and she makes the sound and she's like almost, do you see like the fear in her eyes? Like she's like afraid of herself <laughs> yeah. for having yeah, made the noise. absolutely. And it just paints a picture of that era that, I mean, I didn't really grow up an Elvis fan. My parents weren't Elvis fans, but I had like extended family who like were into Elvis and just to hear them kind of describe what the mania was like with him like i don't know just to see it articulated that way on screen was really cool and then just getting back to like the editing how it jumped around so quickly yeah i feel like you know i feel like these music biopics are so paint by numbers you know even the good ones that you know having that sort of whiplash effect almost like you know it would have been easy to kind of be molded into like all right here's the pattern you know you know where he leaves home and he tries drugs for the first time and like yada 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 and so um i really liked that element of it too as well yeah but going off what you said i did agree with your point that um like why colonel tom parker wanting to rein in rein him in like i do see that as a valuable counterpoint but maybe we could have gotten a bit more explanation about that which i mean ultimately like we do find out that colonel tom parker basically is just is you know undocumented in the united states and like doesn't want to get in trouble and all that but you know i mean maybe we could have seen a couple more instances instances of that to better support that so yeah i don't know that was just yeah and i mean again that was just one example of me just like kind of thinking the movie kind of like skipped over a couple things and maybe didn't explain it enough daniel one area of the movie where it actually did spend a little more time was like all the time he spent in like just like being the only white person in some rooms in memphis Kelvin Harrison Jr., who uh, an actor that I really like, who uh, I, I heard someone else on a podcast say they never really recognize him, which is kind of funny because, because like again, again, I really I've seen him in a, he, he's in a movie, a couple of movies. Daniel and I've talked about both Waves and the Photograph, but like looks totally different in those. Looks totally different here. Um, he plays BB King in Elvis, and there's like one really good conversation where he kind of talks about like the different standards they are held to, and then I think most of the rest of it is we kind of just see Elvis like hanging out in those clubs. And I actually agreed with something and I, I read in a review where it said like if they had had like these black people just confronting him the whole movie about like stealing their music or have it had a bunch of like interactions about the uh, about like just how much he was lifting from them. And if he was, you know, if there was anything wrong with that, like they, they might not have really trusted Voss to handle that with like the most deft touch. But I'm wondering, like, do you think that like you learned as much as you needed to learn about how he was inspired by that type of blues music? Um. Well, hmm. I guess this is going to be a little bit of a freewheeling sort of review, just because I, my my problems with how they treat him with race kind of gets into my problems with how they treat Elvis the character, which gets into my problems with the second half, which gets to the okay. yeah. So um, here's the thing: we, we we can jump to the second half too, but like that, that, a lot of that time with respect to the black community is like kind of set up in the first act, which again, I completely agree informs the second act where we're kind of supposed to look to him as like someone that can speak on things like MLK getting shot. Yeah. So here's the thing. Like I said, like I do really love when this movie is going all out. Um, I think that even, even the parts that you pointed out, like the, uh, when it's going over like his, uh, uh, the controversy with the, the, you know, uh, the governor and all that, like, I understand what you're saying, but I find that the stylistic approach to this narrative smooths over a lot of the issues that I would normally have. And it's the moments where it kind of lets off the gas a bit, uh, which especially happens in the second half of the movie, that the flaws 
uh, really do start to show in the narrative. And part of that goes into uh, the character of Elvis and the character of Tom Parker. So uh, let's see, how do I put this? So I'm not as big a fan of Austin Butler in this movie as everyone else seems to be. And I'm also a bigger fan of Tom Hanks than mm -hmm. most people seem to be. Okay. Um, I think Austin. So you, Butler, you and Joe are from the opposite side of me on that. Just to be clear, I could not get over the Tom Hanks thing and whatever the yeah. hell that accent was. <laughs> so here's well, I don't know. Here's the thing: Austin Butler, I think, is is fine, but I, you know, like I've seen Elvis. Like people make a living impersonating that, yeah, Elvis. Yeah, that, that, that is a whole like cottage industry. Yeah. So like, I think he's good. Um, I, I think especially when he's you know in the performance mode. But when the filmmaking slows down and it, you know, has to, you have to get to the, the Elvis Presley, the man. Um, I don't think he has necessarily the chops to like embody that and give me something like behind the mask, uh, which also goes down to just Boz isn't like, I guess not the best person to get into like that kind of deep character work anyway. So like, it's not like he's being given a ton of material. Now, Tom Hanks is... I think his performance is good, actually, but I also don't find it as interesting as some of the like people who actually are appreciative. I don't actually find it that interesting. Like, I think that it's good. He is playing like a carny huckster, so like, um, so like you know the accent. I don't find that weird. I think he's just giving like a kind of vaguely German accent. Uh, you know, he's this kind of foreign element. He's this. It actually gets to uh, a like uh, the kind of like standard issue narrative problems with this kind of story you know like you have this trend where like when they do these musical biopics they offload all the flaws of the performers onto this outside figure and it makes for a less interesting narrative like the relationship between tom parker and elvis could have been a very interesting textured thing to explore if it if uh you know tom parker weren't so demonized and Elvis Presley were allowed to have his flaws, but instead they skip over, you know, like the, the drugs, that's not him. That's, uh, that's these people pumping stuff into him. The uh, relationship with a fucking teenager while he's a grown man, um, that, that they, they really skate over that. And I think they do skate over going back to what originally started me off this tangent, his relationship with black artists and black America. Um, so like, I think that's actually very interestingly first brought up, like in that first scene where like he's about to go perform and then it, you know, cuts back all the way to right before he gets on stage, it cuts back all the way to him as a child going and looking at like these blues artists playing in this bar and it's sensual. And, and then from there, he runs directly to like a revivalist tent, which, you know, very convenient but this is the kind of filmmaking that I actually was attracted to um he runs straight from that into a revivalist meeting uh and he, you know he gets overtaken by the spirits you know and you know they're doing like the spiritual stuff and uh you know he's cross-cutting between those two like the bar and the revivalist tent and Elvis on stage for the first time and showing how his experiences with uh black culture growing up kind of informed who he would become on stage and that's very interesting and you know you get swept up in the moment in a way that you don't really fully think of the implications but then when it starts getting into when it more overtly, overtly starts to address his relationship with black culture when uh you know you've got uh kelvin harrison jr telling him like 
oh yeah, if you record Tutti Frutti, you'd make a whole lot more money than Little Richard. Uh, and when he's like, we have to say something about the assassination of Martin Luther King and such, it comes across as hokey. It comes across as kind of dishonest. Like, you know, they show, they show like Big Mama Thornton uh, uh, singing Hound Dog, which is a song that was originally written for her. And, you know, they kind of skate over the fact that he went and performed it, became a huge success. And she got, apparently there's a quote where she says, all I got was like $500 for that song. Yeesh. So like, you know, and like, you know, Black people and his placement in Black culture, it's controversial. He has a very controversial legacy. I think even at the time, it was controversial. Like you have quotes from like artists at the time the complaining about how he was able to do things that they were not. The movie doesn't want to get into that. And as long as they're doing the boss thing and being bombastic and such, that's fine. But the moment they start to slow down, that's when the inability to really contend with those sort of intricacies really starts to show. That makes sense. That was very freewheeling of you, as you uh, promised. Yeah, hey, I apologize for that tangent, <laughs> but like, it, it's it's a complicated movie to talk about because so much of one aspect informs the other. And yeah, there's a lot going on, and like, I get what you're saying. Like, if you just if, if they just entertain your face off the whole time, then that's good. But if they're gonna try and slow down and do the other stuff, then like, I don't know. My thing is like, it's two hours and forty minutes. Like, I get it. Boz can be Boz, but it would be hard to keep up the energy of those performances for all two hours and 40 minutes. Like I, my thing is like, if it's a movie that long, I feel like I would have had, I feel like there was space in there to give us more context for what his relationship with the black community actually was aside from like kind of periodically flashing back to those early scenes in Memphis. And then all of a sudden like, uh, okay, well, what's he going to say about Martin Luther King? Apparently he might've actually really said, Dr. King, man, he always spoke the truth or whatever he says in the movie. Apparently he, I don't, I don't care if he did. That's corny as hell. Yeah. Uh, I guess, I, I guess I should also note that like, it does skip over a lot of the sixties. He had like a whole movie. Star oh yeah. Um, yeah. That's another big problem. And it's weird. Like we, cause I think it wants to get to that, you know, that Christmas special thing where he, they show him making the social statement and all that. So in 68, cause 68 is obviously a very big year with that's in both, MLK and RFK getting assassinated so kind of wants to get there to try and establish all that stuff that we've already talked about didn't set it up that well I'm wondering Joe like did uh I mean is that did you have any concept of like Elvis's movie stardom because I didn't know a ton about that I though I learned about it after I saw the movie but before you started recording tonight and like did you think did you did, did you find something lacking for you in that kind of mid part of his career after he got back from the military that you thought maybe could have the movie could have found some time for Specifically to this, but also speaking to Daniel's point, I think the strength and the weakness of this movie is that it's all very, like, surface level stuff. So, like, when you get into those performances, you know, the first concerts or, you know, like the stuff in Vegas, like the the visceral moments are just like, boom, like you're just going nuts, right? And then, like, when they try to touch on the more serious things, like, you know, like the whole, you know, his influences from black culture was he actually stealing those songs and then when he's trying to make a social statement or the drugs and stuff there's not much there there you know Mm -hmm. and because yeah like because the movie thing they they set it up to be like oh like i'm gonna be the next james dean and then suddenly like we cut through like that whole period basically to like the end it seems important it seems important but and it's almost like we needed like a, a scene of him trying to hack it in a serious role and like just, you know, falling flat. You know what I mean? Where 
I had no idea wow. about the thing about him like being considered for the Chris Christopherson role in that in the Barbara Streisand Star Wars. Yeah. I did not know. I didn't even know. I that. did. I genuinely, and I was like, oh, that's actually very interesting. Like, how was that? There's a world where, to, to your point, uh, Jernavoy, um, that where like I think if this movie had focused in on like a particular part of his life, um, mm-hmm. you know that you know that um Tarantino at one point like you know when he was he was talking about uh I don't know what he was talking about I think maybe like projects that he was thinking of. And uh, he said, like, I'd always wanted to do like a musical biopic, but if I did it, I wouldn't do Cradle to Grave. If I were doing, I would do like the day that Elvis walked into Sun Records, mm-hmm. like just that day. And I'm like, you know, that's an interesting sort of approach. And this man, as we can see, has had interesting parts of his life, his army career, his Hollywood career, uh, the comeback special, like there's a world where that's a Steve Jobs sort of thing, you know, where it's detailing like the process yeah. of him doing the TV special doing his first show, whatever, uh, you know, like his Hollywood years. There's like, I mean, uh, Las Vegas years. There's just so much you could pull from for like one. I mean, hell, uh, they did it at one point. A couple of years back, they did. Uh, El- You've seen Elvis and Nixon? Oh, yeah. I've not. See, I, I can't remember the movie very well, but I did see it and I, I liked it. You know, it's Michael Shannon and uh, who's playing Nixon? I think Kevin Spacey, which, you know, that hasn't aged well. But um, the fact is, but the fact is, like, you know, they, they hone in on one particular thing, which would be the meeting of Elvis and, and Nixon. There's a world where you, by keeping it that focused, you get to dive in more on his character by doing the cradle to grave approach. Like Joe said, it, it's all kind of going to be surface level. And as long as Boz Lerman is going full tilt, that yeah. doesn't really matter to me. To compare it again to RRR, that's a movie that is 20 minutes longer than this one. And I was engaged the entire way through. They kept up that same energy the entire way through. Mm -hmm. And I think that due to the kind of like, uh, like very predictable narrative structure of this movie, I actually on rewatch, because I did rewatch it just before we recorded. The first time I said that Boz Lerman like really slows down, that the energy kind of dissipates entirely. On rewatch, that's not quite true. I think that he is still trying to really sell those moments. Like, you know, that first Vegas show performance. I, the, the energy is there. You get the sense that he's doing something different than his first show, you know, with this like orchestra and all that. But the difference is that the beats are so familiar that like you know for example that last talk with uh priscilla it it's it's he's still going for like the heartstrings and all that but like we've seen like you know dewey cox like you know parodied it we've seen that sort of scene done before in that way so like eh, it ends up coming across as far less interesting than what came before it well you're talking about predictable beats and one thing i noted when i got out of the movie and again this just comes down to how much you enjoyed what tom hanks was doing so it's since you guys enjoyed it more the thing that's worked more for you but like i don't even necessarily fault like i mean they, they cover this in walk hard uh but like i mean there's a lot of evil music manager in these movies uh you know paul giamatti played two of them in 2015 because he also played it in love and mercy when he was, uh, <laughs> when he, was he was brian wilson's music manager there and that came out the same year straight out of compton like th- there's been a lot of those and but the thing is i honestly think having like seen a lot of those movies now and seen this one this one had more reason to go all in on the evil music manager than most of them because this evil music manager like was more successful in causing the downfall of his artists. Like most of the others have a better redemption after their brush with the evil music manager. And this one like really, really kind of like locked him in. I just think that it could have like handled that better. And I mean, I think they could have struck a better balance too of like 
not having so much of a B from the music manager's perspective. And it, like, it, again, it just, it feels inevitable that that music manager is going to, you know, it, it is going to cause the downfall based on how we are conditioned to watch these movies. I just thought like, man, I wish that had been handled differently. Like, it feels like, it feels like at the end, like, well, that's the other thing. It's like, I like the, at the two hour, 20, two hour, 15, two hour, 20 minute mark of this two hour and 40 minute movie. Like he's just, he's just putting on the show in Vegas at that point. So it's like, I know how Elvis's life, life ends. So now it's going to be like, man, I know they're going to have to rush through a lot of stuff here to get to the, to get to where his story ends here. So it's just kind of like, I don't know, it kind of sapped it of a lot of suspense for what was going to happen toward in the last stretch of the movie. Cause I just knew like, oh man, they're gonna have to cram a bunch of downfall stuff here into like three scenes. Uh, and, and it's like, man, like you could have, I just feel like you could have allocated your time a lot better for, uh, something this, something this long. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, again, I, I, I don't think anyone can blame us for being a little all over the place. Cause again, it's a Baz Luhrmann production. Um, we've kind of mentioned Priscilla a few times. Uh, one thing I thought when I like got out of it, cause I'd seen some people say like, oh, if you can get over the fact that like Elvis's family, like approve this movie, then, uh, then you're going to, then, then you, you'll, you'll be okay with it. And I, at first I was like, okay, yeah, I, I don't feel like I'm missing much in that regard with the family having final cut. Like they didn't deny he had a drug problem at the end, even if they didn't get too into that. But like, then I like, I looked up like what Priscilla's age was when he would have been at the war. And I was like, yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess this is like a bit of a hot potato of a question, Joe, but is there a right way to handle that in a movie like this? When like you're, you're trying to sell fan, the, the fans on something a little more like fun and positive? You know, I think this is, I don't think there's a great way to handle it. I mean, you know, I personally love Casey Musgraves and they had Casey Musgraves cover Can't Help Falling in Love With You. So it's full on like, this mm. is romantic. Don't worry about the details kind of thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, this is like one of the things where you kind of run into trouble with the the Cradle of the Grave uh, biopic where it's just like, okay, like, you know, we got to have, it's like, it's the movies. We got to have romance, you know? So I guess like they wanted just to like make that moment as romantic as possible. But yeah, yeah like knowing the real life situation of it, just. Yeah, yeah, not, I know, I know. yeah you got to have, I guess you got to have the romance if you're going to do it. We keep also saying cradle to the grave. And I guess my other thing was that like, it was like, I mean, his act, if you look at what, it, what, when he actually technically became active, it was like 1953 and he died in 1977. And this movie kind of zooms past those last 70, like, six six or so years of his life or whatever when he's just like mm -hmm. trapped in vegas so it's like really the movie only has like you know 17 years it has to cover which is still a lot less than a lot of other things like so but then we already talked about how they like they skipped over a lot of the 60s like there's not actually that many years that this movie like takes place in uh mm -hmm. and it's like so i mean i don't know I, I, it's just it's just another thought i had with like the amount of stuff they had to cover and i get it they had to cover the priscilla stuff but like i mean I don't know. Like, I, I, th I, th I think you can talk about it without making it like a rated R movie. You know, I feel like you could have more people maybe like, uh, I mean, I get it. They want to, they want to appeal to a, a wider group of people and they want to, they don't want to like only, they, they, they wanted to find a way to do a PG 13 movie about a, like a, a, a musician that like was out on drugs. I'm pretty sure walk the line was rated R. I'm pretty sure Ray was rated R. Um, I walk hard is obviously rated R. Um, and then like, and, and, but then like these movies have made a bit of a comeback the last couple of years. I, I don't. Um, I think Bohemian Rhapsody was PG thirteen. Um, that was a whole thing with that one because right. um, Sasha, Sasha Baron Cohen, Cohen. Right, right. Yeah. And um, then I think, I, but then I think, I think Rocket Man was might have been rated R actually. So it's like they've taken yeah. like different approaches to this stuff. But like, I feel like you can have a discussion like, "Hey man, 
maybe that's not that appropriate. It's not like they, it's not like the romance wasn't really a feel good part of the movie, I guess would be what I would say to that. You know, mm-hmm. they kind of rushed through it all anyway and didn't really yeah. dwell that much in the happy parts. Like they have this one scene where it's like, you know, they kind of get together when he's overseas. And then, Which, and by then the way, it, I, the first time I watched this movie, um, I did not know. I knew she was a teenager because they do say he, she was a teenager too. There, somewhat credit, but they don't mention. They don't mention. There's a there's a teenager. You could be a teenager and be 19. No, she was 14, 14 mm. years old. Um, and like rewatching this last time, uh, I was like, my face was crunched. I was disgusted watching that scene, man, playing out so romantic. Yeah, again, we, again, we weren't we weren't around then. I don't know if that like. I don't know if that caused the amount of consternation it probably should have. Uh, but like at the same time, like I probably would have felt a little better about it. The movie, if they had just like engaged with that idea a little bit and in some way, but they didn't. And again, it's just, I, I just think the movie had time for all that. I don't know where all of the time in this movie ultimately went. Like, I guess they do spend a good amount of time in the performances, which I, which I really like. Uh, even up until the end. I mean, we, we, we've kind of talked around this back half of the movie a little bit, Daniel, um, that where it, where we do, it seems like we all think to some extent it kind of loses the thread. Um, so I, I want to I move on a little bit and ask you, like, when, when, when you say, like, oh, for an hour this thing was great, where do you think the one thing is it kind of went wrong beyond, like, you know, not talking about his teenage wife? <laughs> I do think that once he goes, you know, I, I know that we just said besides talking about that, but I do think that once he goes to the army, uh, it does. That's where it does start to lose the thread um, because it starts having to grapple with uh, the complexities of this man's life. And like, that's not that's not the strength of this movie, really. Like I like I said, like 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 or I should say, like Joe said, this is very surface level sort of stuff, um, which the filmmaking supports uh, it actually that sort of very simple surface level uh interrogation of the man like it works as long as you're going all out and gonzo and silly and fun um it's when you start having to contend with those darker elements that i guess maybe it's one of those things where uh, like i said i it's complicated again like there are moments in that last half where like i think that it is trying to go all out like the the performances i think do generally still work but like the relationship between her elvis and and the uh uh uh, what's her name priscilla priscilla the relation their relationship it it barely matters even like once you know you've grown out of the fact that she's a teenager like you know when she leaves him like i i felt nothing watching that you know the the whole like downfall you you are right in that like the vegas years are kind of like all right you know where this is going so like what well, else is well you kind of know too like because you know it has a bad ending you know that they're gonna have to like it becomes apparent where it's kind of headed when he goes to fire uh parker and he kind of convinces him hey like i got an idea and it's like all right that's gonna kind of be the downfall i just don't i just don't think his I don't think his life is necessarily captured as well as it could have been. Like we have, we don't have a ton of con. Like we get it. He he struggles when he's away from the spotlight and he doesn't know how to deal with being alone. And so he kind of, you know, he, he, he kind of numbs himself with the, with the pills. Yeah. And, uh, but at the same time, I don't think we have the right context for like what is really going on in his life and what is driving him to that just beyond that. Cause I feel like there's probably something more to it. Cause the movie like heavily implies like what went wrong for him was that he didn't get to go on his European tour. And 
like I get that Vegas isn't the best place for people with certain proclivities, but what I, if he'd just been a rock star in Europe, like wouldn't he have just as easily have been like, you know, had tough times too than if he had been in Vegas? Like, I don't think I got like the proper context for like what was going on with him internally during that time. Yeah, this goes to actually what I was saying with the uh, with the TV special and that it doesn't really fully get into, but because of the fact that they don't really fully interrogate the man and his, you know, artistic inclinations and such, like it leaves a lot on the cutting room floor. Like there is, I think what it's trying to position is that by staying at Vegas, he sort of deadens himself creatively. Like it's a creative dead end. Like he just does the exact same show over and over and over and over again and he doesn't get the opportunity to grow but the problem with that is that you know you look at the tv special where he's positioned as sort of like this counterculture almost figure like there's a line where like uh tom hanks is saying that like oh those hippies got his claws into him and turned him into like you know this counterculture figure and i'm like wait is he because he's still playing the same shit he was playing 10 years ago so how exactly is playing hound dog you know 10 years after it became a hit like him growing as an artist or him like repositioning himself as an artist. Uh, and then I think that same thing applies to like the Vegas show as exciting as it is. And as welcome as it is considering where the narrative has gone to have those big sort of outsized performances at the end of the day, he is still kind of playing the same stuff. So like, where has, where's the growth there? And well, like, how is that? Well, I guess we're led to believe the song he does play the Christmas schedule it, that, and forgive me. Yeah, that's a new one. Yeah. Head, that's supposed to be like, you know, Oh, that's his, his change is going to come. Uh, but you know, which, Sorry, just, I, I can't, it also like gets into like the, because they don't get into the, his relationship with black artists that kind of made me chuckle, but like, I will say like this movie doesn't seem overly concerned with Elvis, the artist, you know, a lot of these music biopics, we get a scene where like the, the, they come up with like the song, you know what I mean? Like they'll hit yeah, the certain yeah. notes. This movie doesn't really have that. And like, we get the one scene where he's like writing the lyrics to the song special, I guess. And he's kind of just writing on a pad. And so like the whole Vegas thing where he is at that, like well, Vegas is where we actually see him doing artistic stuff for the first time. Oh, you know, like. no, no, That's, the, that, that the, is the, fair. That is fair. The words came uh-huh. to him after he saw Robert Kennedy had died. <laughs> <laughs> and actually it does, it, that does get into like, um, do you remember, did you guys see that movie yesterday? Yeah. Yes. I did not like it. I didn't like it either. And I think uh, one of the comp- the problems I had with it was that, like, again, it assumes that the Beatles was the greatest band in the world and that their songs were magnificent. And, you know, like, like the fact is the guy keeps starts pretending to write the Beatles and like immediately becomes an overnight success. And it just you have to assume that the Beatles are great going in. And I think Joe, that's kind of the assumption of that second half of the movie. Like you're saying that they don't concern themselves that much with him as an artist, like the artistic process of it. And I think that's because they just, well, he's Elvis. Like you love him. I think actually uh, keys into uh, Hank's, like, you know, he keeps repeating that like, oh, he loved you, the fans, or you fan, the fans killed him. And it's like, it's all the narrative assumes his greatness. Uh, And when they are selling you his greatness in that first half, I'm like, yes, absolutely. And I know that we're focusing so much on the second half, but I think that that is because that's where the problems really do start to show. Um, And that first half, and like we said, it's not like that first half, there's like a whole lot of depth necessarily. It's just goes into the filmmaking and how they're selling you this very simple story. If I think about like the, uh, 
So that last penultimate scene where like he's in the car with Priscilla Presley and she's begging him to like go get treatment and he is kind of brushing her off and depressed and all. If that moment played as it did, but it didn't play as it did. Let's say that instead she's like full throated crying and like, you know, makeup going down her face and it's slow-mo and the rain pouring and he's dramatically (laughs) looking at the, if they kind of played it like, I suppose a Bollywood movie would play it. I think that that works better for, or at least it becomes less of a letdown from that first hour of the movie. I think that if they had gone all out with pretty much every single element of the film, like they do in that first hour, I think it would be like the best movie of the year for me. Um, Mm. But they don't, they allow it to slow down because I think there's a sense that they have to treat the narrative in this sort of very traditional way uh, because it's such a traditional narrative that we're all familiar with. And like, I think that that's shooting itself in the foot. I think that he should have trusted his own (laughs) proclivities uh, instead of like kind of watering down uh, for the sake of drama, quote unquote. Mm. Yeah. Uh... I don't know, Joe, did you have any other final thoughts of like, I don't know where it goes in that final act? I guess my only other one was just going to be like, I don't, I think they could have even also explained the embezzlement a little bit more. I, I, they just kind of show him signing some papers pretty fast that like maybe like making up some, it almost looks like he's just like making up some stuff that like the, he needs to be reimbursed for. And then it's just that. And then he, he's trapped him and he's like, all right, well, this is. Oh, well, no, 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 no. Hold on. To be fair, to be fair, what he's doing is like, you know, he is kind of making stuff up, but what he's really doing is like, uh, he's going, which I actually, I didn't notice the first time I saw it. Uh, when he says like, this is after Tom Hanks gets fired. I keep on saying his name, uh, Tom Parker. This is after Tom Parker gets fired, right? By Elvis. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he's reading to the dad, like, well, you're going to pay me for all the expenses that I accrued, you know, in supporting you guys. And he starts off with the gas from the first tour. Yeah. <laughs> like he goes all the way back to that first tour. I actually quite like that. Like he's been keeping an itemized in his head, sort of like, this is how I'm going to get you if you ever try to leave. Um, I actually I do, impressed. again, I do, I do, I, you know, it's silly, but like it, it I think works uh, for the narrative. Like if, if I, if that's the kind of energy I did sort of want for the rest of the movie. I'm not going to lie. I, again, I'm not a, as, as, surprise i don't think that the tom hanks performance is as weird as other people do but i also think it was actually so pretty weird. good i think so I, I don't think it was weird i don't think it was weird he's just <laughs> doing a european accent that's it he's just playing a carney uh and i actually do sort of like the the uh, sort of positioning of elvis as like a freak show act like i like that scene where he's like at the carnival and uh you know, he's looking at Elvis's back and Elvis like is staring at like the geek sign. I was gonna guess, yes. Ah, uh, that's such a, that's, but I, that's the sort of <laughs> shit that I love, man. And then when he goes to talk to Elvis and sign away his rights, he meets him in a hall of mirrors. That's where he chooses to <laughs> stage that uh, because like, you know, like he's confused and disoriented and he presents himself as this, the guide out of this sort of like strange, surreal sort of existence. Like I, 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 again like i really do think that the filmmaking approach to that first hour is like perfect Mm -hmm. um i wish they kept that up man 
right, shouts well, to I, the I, uh, Nightmare Alley heads. Um, yeah, I thought oh, I yeah. did think of Nightmare Alley watching that whole thing. I, I, I was I, like, I, this I, is exactly I, that energy. Josh, I went, from asking, Joe, one, I went from asking Joe about the stuff he didn't like to, to, to getting to Daniel talking about more stuff that he did like. But uh, Joe, <laughs> w- 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 was there anything else you want to say about the downfall of Elvis? Uh, or Yeah, I was going to say this isn't a Boz Lerman movie, but there is an entire movie of the Vegas residency in the sense where Colonel Tom Parker's signing the contract with the casino owners and they're like, we will forgive all your debt, open line of credit. If you get him on that stage every night, if he's on that stage every night and I'm imagining almost like this really dark take on like, get him to the Greek where it's literally just like Colonel Tom Parker, like trying to get Ellis on stage every night, you know? Like, I was like, damn, like, I, I kind of want to watch that movie. <laughs> and the, the fact that we have to cram it into such a short runtime as part of this, uh, as part of this, as part of this thing, I was just like, oh, like missed opportunity. Like, you know, like I would like, I was just, I was sitting there thinking like, I'd watch the hell out of like that kind of well, thing. Well, yeah, but. maybe like an answer to this. And a lot of people didn't like this movie, but maybe, maybe a version of this that works if you want to focus in on a part of the movie is just like, have it just be about his life once he gets to Vegas you know uh and like if, mm-hmm. if you want like like daniel was talking about like you know uh tarantino wanted to do like a, a one day thing but you could like even focus on him like you I mean you, it, a lot of it could like a half of the movie could focus even on like just him like actually being creatively fulfilled in the ways joe is talking about him actually like doing some really interesting stuff uh creative creatively during that part of the movie and then like maybe the next part of it could be the downfall and that way you have a narrow thing it doesn't feel like you're necessarily it doesn't that, that if they had chosen that from the start daniel then you would then you would there wouldn't even really be that much space to blame them if they didn't go all into like making him some like social hero you know it's yeah, like that, that's just not that's just not the point he would have been at at that part of his life uh, so if you I, that, if you keep this narrative focused, you could have something that works a little better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I th- that's what I'm thinking. I, and I, and what the movie that came to my head at that point was uh, was uh, uh, Renee Zellweger and Judy a couple years ago. I don't know if you oh, either yeah. of you guys saw that. Where I mean, I, I don't yeah, necessarily I think she, I didn't necessarily want her to win the Oscar for that, but I actually really liked that movie and thought it, it just it just focused on like a a pretty interesting part of her life that people just don't typically really think about when you think about Judy Garland. Like she it, that that picked up after like even I think she I think she actually might have gotten like an Oscar nomination for like Judgment at Nuremberg, which is a movie I really like. But that was like you know the, all of basically all of Judy like takes place even after that, and it's like all right, well here's what it looks like when like a legend like this is like at that part of her life. Uh, so. I don't know. I, I, I just think there was like, there was like room to do, uh, there, there was really was room to like kind of go in that direction and, uh, focus it, focus it more there. And I think you still could have kind of hit in all the quadrants. You could have gotten some kick-ass musical performances and like, you know, given his, uh, struggles and the evil manager stuff, all the attention it deserved. So, um, yeah. Uh, Joe, is there, or is there anything else about the movie that we haven't already touched on that you wanted to talk about? Uh, I just want to say one more time that um, Tom Hanks fought off COVID to give us this art and we should all appreciate it. I mean, I forgot, I forgot that this is what he was doing when he tested positive. I mean, I, I I did not realize like basically all of this movie was filmed in Australia. And then if you like go on there and look at it, like there's like, basically there's like Tom Hanks, Austin Butler and like Kelvin Harrison Jr. And then everyone else in this movie is Australian. Uh, Like, yeah, but ba- ba- Boz basically just like went and like got a bunch of Australians to like. I mean, like originally, like originally, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal and someone else were gonna play his parents, and oh, then, wow. like, yeah, 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 yeah. I saw I saw that somewhere. 
and uh who was it, it was uh maggie Gyllenhaal and uh oh no okay so uh yeah matt I, I actually well not, not that he's american it was maggie Gyllenhaal and rufus sewell were cast as the parents oh. and then in february 2020 and then they were replaced by uh the two people that actually played them helen thompson and richard roxburgh so uh i don't I, and both of whom are australian so you know it was kind of like all right, well, it's just easier to get the Australian people in here. And I, I don't know if that, yeah, may, maybe they had like scheduling conflicts or something like that, but like just about everyone else in this thing uh, is, is Australian. Like I, like I noted, even the uh, actress that plays Priscilla, who is like in some, like who, who is like in some, uh, a lot of American productions, she's Australian too. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, prop, props, to, props to Tom Hanks for like powering through and uh, getting it done. Even if I uh, did not like his performance, he, uh, he, he was like the center of the world for quite a bit there in March of 2020. Um, Daniel, anything else we have not talked about with this movie that you wanted to talk about? I mean, I feel like uh, we've talked, we've, we've talked in broad strokes about the spectacle and all that. I don't know if you have anything else you wanted to add on the performances. Cause like, I feel like we almost gave them the short end of the stick here, but like, again, like I, the musical performances, excuse me, which I just, I just, I, 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 I probably like just as much as you guys. I just didn't like the other stuff as much. So is there, is yeah, there anything just... else you wanted to say about the movie? Yeah, it's tough talking about those moments because, you know, they are very much like experiences that you have to like witness and like yeah, just us well, talking see, about see it, this, see it, see it. Yeah, we should say see it in a theater too. I mean, it's only- You know, the theater. unfortunate thing is that I've seen it twice, but both times it was at the multiplex and like weeks after it come out. So like they put it in like the, the not as great theater. So I didn't get that full surround sound experience, which I'm sad about. Um, the one thing I do want to say uh, is that I don't, I admit, I don't really like the final note that it left us on, um, you know, where like, you know, I, I don't actually mind the framing device of, you know, uh, 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 Tom Parker being the sort of narrator uh, and our, you know, funhouse sort of guide through the Elvis story. But the final note is like, you know, a bunch of like, you know, uh, newsreel footage of like his death and how people reacted to it. And uh, you get narration from Tom Hanks saying like, what, so what killed Elvis? Uh, you know, some people say it was the pill. Some people say it was me, but I say it was love. And the thing <laughs> is, and the thing is like the movie positions him as sort of the villain of the story. Uh, you know, it certainly ends with him being the villain of the story because like you get title cards saying that, oh, he was a piece of shit who got sued and died in obscurity. Um, which by the way, like that must, his ghost, must be like so pissed about this movie like i swear to god he must be so pissed he's like damn what the hell did i do like you know 20 years after however many decades after his death and he's still getting like shit on but <laughs> but um you know the fact is the last spoken words are him saying that love killed elvis and it's weird to have that coming from the villain of the story you get what i mean like it's just a i don't know that that note it just seems like very kind of clumsy storytelling to me which i guess is also true of the movie as a whole uh once as long as you're going big boz who is the star of the movie again like you know austin butler i feel like people are hyping him up too much i don't think he's going to impress us with his next couple of roles uh tom hanks good but you know i think I, I like what he's doing but it's not like a great performance in my opinion and nobody else really shines on through it is boz lerman who is the star of elvis and as long as he's allowed to do his thing great movie you didn't like austin butler in your favorite movie of 2019 once upon a time in hollywood <laughs> you know what i don't think i really did who was he in that movie he was tex watson who the fuck is tex watson 
he was kind of like one of the, like the, you know one of the, like the ringleaders of Manson's gang basically that kind of like, oh. you know and thing yeah you know uh sorry a motorcycle just like or some drag racers just went by my window uh it was the austin uh, butler hive coming for us <laughs> um joe any other movies you've been watching recently you want to talk about any favorite musical biopics you think you need to shout out where they actually got it right um music biopics i'm gonna take a pass on that um okay. <laughs> no i just finished uh stranger things um the last episode which was the same length as this movie i started um, it on sunday i'm still working on it just you know please can we just make shorter television episodes okay <laughs> like i just you know i just need to be able to watch a tv episode and not have it be longer than a movie mm. that, some, some of us some, some of us have one-year-old children at home we can't watch two hours and 20 yes, minutes I, TV I, episodes. Cannot, I cannot devote twenty-five thousand hours to a, a season of television i am sorry all right well uh so joe wanted to tell you i mean did you like stranger things season four on the whole though I liked it better than three. Okay. I thought it was the I thought it was the final season though, so I got really confused when they were um, setting Left it up. on like a cliffhanger. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was just like, wait, oh, 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 and then <laughs> there's another. There, we're gonna have more after this. Okay. Uh, Did you like somewhere... season two? Was that? Did you like season two? Because that's where I left off. I I dropped off the show after that. I did not like season two at all. Oh, I barely remember it said that like Eleven had this big like slicked back hair thing going on. Um, and she met up with the psychic kids in this weird town. It felt like they were trying to create oh, a spinoff. Oh, yeah. Okay, I remember that now. Uh, I remember thinking that part was a bit out of left field. Yeah, that, uh, that, yeah. they got a lot of controversy for that, actually. I or uh, a criticism for that, actually, just not being a good episode. But like, I don't really remember anything that happened in two at all, basically. So like, I, I, I yeah, I'm kind I of partial. To th- <laughs> I'm kind of partial to three because I, I, at least I, and that's maybe maybe just because it came out a lot more recently. But I just I remember really liking the mall stuff, and I don't remember anything that happened huh. in two besides like the dance at the end of the season, basically. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah. so uh, and like Eleven kind of being friends with um Max, but like for like two scenes, which they reference a lot in season four. Uh, <laughs> um. But uh, but yeah, so I, I can I can also say it's fun, but like they definitely did not edit it well, and they tried to make they made it nine episodes, even though there's like sixteen hours worth of material in there because they didn't want to pay all these kids like eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars an episode for seven episodes of extra episodes that they could avoid it. But that's basically what they make at this point, and the adults probably make even more than that. Um, yeah, but whatever. Uh, Daniel, anything else you've been watching recently that you want to recommend? Um, you know, again, I'll really stress RRR. It's- one of my favorite movies uh, i've seen it three times it's three hours long i saw it all three times in theaters the last time was actually quite quite fun i actually got to know some people at the showing we all talked about how much we loved the movie it was a great experience um beyond that up uh, i've started the new season of evil which is a paramount plus show you know it's about this team of people who investigate possessions for the catholic church it's very case of the week uh in structure there's a myth arc but you know like it doesn't really play too much into the episode by episode sort of thing it is just so much fun uh it's very gonzo if you like american horror story it's got the same sort of campy vibe and it's it's got some great performances and it's my favorite thing on the air right now um beyond that i uh movies nothing really like struck a chord with me lately i did quite enjoy the spiritual boxer and dirty harry which i saw today um, but I will give a shout out to a new movie, uh, The Princess, which is streaming on Hulu. It is the one of the 
uh, new American films from the director of Fury, which was a Vietnamese action movie that I quite loved a couple years back. It stars Joey King as this kung fu princess sort of girl. Uh, she's been kidnapped and locked at the top of the castle. Uh, she's going to be forced to marry this usurper to the throne, but she's got other ideas. Um, she has to fight her way down. It becomes a sort of like the raid, but like set in medieval times. And she's just kicking ass the entire way. It's got some really fun choreography. Uh, it's still, it's not perfect. It's not a perfect movie, either in the storytelling or even the approach to the action, but there is ambition there. It's just a lot of fun. It's like 90 minutes. Uh, it jumps straight into the action and it doesn't really let up the entire way through. So I do quite recommend that. It's quick, fun, um, lean, and uh, it just reminds me of those sort of 90s DTV action movies that I so love. Pretty sure Joey King's going to be in Bullet Train later this month. So, yeah, she uh, is. She is. So you'll get to get a, she Based on her performance here, I'm going to freaking love her in that movie. Interesting. All right. Uh, I don't have a lot of movies to recommend. Uh, I TV, uh, I... I just watched the, I guess, episode four of season three of For All Mankind, which is the most recent thing episode that aired. It is on Apple. I'm pretty sure I've probably promoted For All Mankind last year when I caught up on the first two seasons as season two was airing. But For All Mankind is was like my second favorite show that aired last year, and it's probably going to be my favorite this year because Succession is not airing in twenty. Uh, it's not airing in 2022. I'm pretty sure. So uh, For All Mankind is an incredible show about like what if the space race never ended after the Russians beat us to the moon. Um, and they just burn through plots so fast, but it doesn't feel too rushed. Like you're never going to get bored with the way they, the way they jump around in a really smart way. So I, I just highly recommend it. If you have any interest in space or just like kind of alternative history type stuff, uh, for all mankind, check it out. Um, uh, Daniel, where, where can people find your stuff? If you want to plug anything? Uh, my letterbox, felonious funk. Uh, it's going to be mostly action movies these days because I swear to God, I have to stand at work now because the chair at work just stinks. So mm. I don't have a lot of patience to like sit through serious stuff. So I'm just standing at work burning through action movies. So there we go. Uh, Joe, anything you want to plug? Twitter, Letterbox? Yeah, I'm on Letterbox at the letter J Parker Morgan. Um, and I'm starting to kind of uh, actually write some reviews at the at the hey. urge of josh so um yeah again i'm not i'm not pressuring you to write long ones no 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 no, 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 no. So. you've been even very even very friendly and you know encouraging <laughs> so. you i swear to god it honestly is so useful to even just have a couple sentences to remind you going back what you thought of a movie yeah Mm -hmm. yeah uh D daniel go, go give him a follow i'm looking at it now he, he only has seven followers and get him to 10 uh by the time this thing airs uh <laughs> I, as usual, I'm Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-I on Twitter and Letterboxd. Podcast Twitter is at RewindMoviePod. Podcast email is RewindMoviePod at gmail.com. Uh, coming up next, depending on the order in which I put everything out, this will, uh, I'm, because this is, uh, you know, I'll probably put this out before I do the one on Cha Cha Real Smooth. I'm going to be putting out with my friends Josh and Denise. Uh, and then after that, like, you know, uh, I already mentioned, I, I don't, I will have one, probably have one on Thor Love and Thunder, though my, uh, I, I, there might be some, you know, scheduling difficulties in that one. So I promise that will be out sooner or later. And then later in the month, we got Nope and Bullet Train. So July is just a huge month for movies. So stay tuned for more from the Rewind. As usual, I'm Josh. And thanks again to Joe and Daniel for joining me. We'll see you next time.